This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, December 7th, 2012. I'm Caleb Brown. When we engage in debate, we should be charitable to our opponents. We should, as the saying goes, seek first to understand. Cato adjunct scholar Arnold Kling argues that while conservatives and progressives often caricature libertarians, caricatures go both ways. Jason Brennan recently had a uh, an event here at the Cato Institute on his new book, Libertarianism, What Everyone Needs to Know, and he made a particular point of talking about uh, making assumptions about how people feel about certain ideas when they advocate uh, a reduced role for government when it comes to pursuing some sort of policy like reducing poverty, for example, or making sure that uh, young people get the educations that will allow them to thrive in the economy. And you take that a little bit further and talk about the idea that, well, look, uh, being charitable with the people that you are debating uh, benefits the debate. And I think I think a lot of people would agree with that. Yes, and, and ironically, uh, when I looked at Jason Brennan's book, a lot of his focus is on the uncharitable way in which uh, other people treat libertarians. That they, you know, and, and this is absolutely true. The, the, the progressives will say, you know, libertarians want people to starve. Um, conservatives will say libertarians just want to undermine, they don't realize they're going to undermine our civilization. It was just a piece by Paul Rahe saying that because uh, that 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 the fundamental cause of our uh, lack of libertarianism today, or or the fundamental threat to liberty, ultimately comes to the can be traced to the sexual revolution of the 1960s. That you know we now have so many single women who become dependent and so on, and so you can blame libertarians for loss of liberty that way. Um, but I think ironically, Brennan is guilty of the same thing when he talks of conservatives and progressives. He says that conservatives want an American police state. He says that progressives want a nanny state. And I don't think either of them would say that that's what they want. So what I've come to believe is that uh, progressives, conservatives, and libertarians each have an axis of concern, and they tend to to demonize the other people as villains along that axis. So so let me go through those those three axes. So for the conservative, the axis is civilization and barbarism. The conservative is always concerned that the society is going to slip from a civilized society to barbarism if you remove the restraints of tradition, religion, and authority. So maybe the classic conservative story would be Lord of the Flies, where the teenagers lose the constraints of civilization and and descend into barbarism. And so when a conservative talks about progressives or libertarians, they talk about progressives and libertarians as if they're threats to civilization. So they, they, they demonize libertarians that way. The progressive looks at the axis of oppressors and oppressed. So you might think of the exodus as the classic story, the cruel pharaoh and the oppressed slaves, or uh, slavery in the U.S. South, as you know, oppressors and oppressed. Uh, and that it gets applied in all sorts of ways. It gets applied to 
um, you know, stories of women as being oppressed. You know, Susan Rice, who has a $20 million net worth, is still a member of an oppressed class because she's a, an African-American woman. Um, and so seeing everything in terms of oppressors versus oppressed, and so naturally when they want to demonize conservatives and libertarians, they say, well, you're just on the side of the oppressors. You, know, you want people to starve. You're, just, you're defending the taxes of the 1% when, in fact, that's not really the way libertarians or conservatives would see themselves. Uh, and finally, libertarians look at an axis of coercion versus free choice. And uh, so free choice is the good thing. Coercion, especially coercion that comes from the government, uh, is the bad thing. And so when you, they want to demonize people, they say, well, you want a police state or you want a nanny state. Um, you, you want a, a, this exercise of coercion. But again, that's not the way progressives and conservatives see themselves. So I think the challenge is to come up with a charitable way of thinking about those with whom you disagree. So if you're talking about a progressive, admit that there are times when the oppressor, oppressed way of organizing information is appropriate. There certainly have been times when people have been oppressed and when they're oppressors. But then move on to say, well, here are some cases where that doesn't fit so well, and this is why, and this is why I, I think uh, another approach is better. So that's what I'm talking about, about being charitable versus uncharitable or demonizing somebody. As Brian Kaplan, I think, has charged uh, his uh, former professor, I believe, Paul Krugman, with an ideological Turing test, because Krugman at one point had, had suggested that uh, I understand the views of yeah. my opponents, and uh -huh. my opponents do not understand my views, and that's why uh, I'm able to have a much more broad range of discussion. And Kaplan said, look, I was you know, steeped in, in the views that uh, you espouse, Let's do an ideological Turing test. I mean, it is a helpful exercise to to understand to if you understand these axes as you lay them out, it's much easier to craft an argument on behalf of your opponents to help understand what they what they're actually advocating. Yes, I really like Brian Kaplan's idea of this ideological Turing test. That is, could you, as you describe the other side's view, pass as someone on the other side. And you know, my, my assertion is that if Jason Brennan says conservatives want a police state, that if he were to walk into a group of conservatives and say, I want a, a, an American police state, very few of them would embrace him and say, ah, you must be one of us. You've passed the ideological Turing test. And Paul Krugman, who Brian Kaplan was perhaps complaining about, would absolutely never pass an ideological Turing test because he's always demonizing those who he disagrees with and attributing to them beliefs that they don't really have and motive, particularly attributing motives that they don't really have and that they don't recognize. And that's why uh, he's a divisive figure rather than a persuasive figure. Now, you argue that when libertarians make statements about the type of world they want to live in, they should approach it from the perspective of how we arrive at our views. That is, that is trying to come up with a system of thinking rather than conclusions. Yeah, um, they, there's a lot of evidence, there's a lot of interesting psychological evidence about how people form ideological beliefs and how they hang on to their ideological beliefs. 
uh, and it relates to Daniel Kahneman's views of system one and system two, where system one is sort of emotional, intuitive, system two is logical. And uh, unfortunately, you can't just divide political, say that, well, there are some people who always use system one and some people always use system two, because what psychologists have found is that people often think they're using system two, that is the logical reasoning, but they're using that, in fact, to rationalize what they've sort of intuitively uh, arrived at, emotionally arrived at. And what I would suggest that for anyone, but uh, libertarians in particular, see if you can attempt to use system two legitimately, not just to rationalize a, uh, an emotionally held position, but actually consider alternative beliefs and weigh them and uh, especially consider the possibility that you could be wrong. One of the statements that uh, one of my favorite writers, Robert Anton Wilson, used to say is that if you suspect that you're a cosmic schmuck, you immediately become less of a cosmic schmuck. <laughs> and if you go through your whole life never possibly ever suspecting that you're a cosmic schmuck, you're going to be one till the day you die. Yeah, I think one of the things that people engage in, if you're engaging in, in reasoning in order to close your mind, which you do when you, de you know, demonize someone else, then you're really using reasoning for unreasonable purposes. And uh, so part of the reason that I advocate trying to be charitable to those with whom you disagree is that it forces you to use your reason more carefully, to use your reason not to rationalize your beliefs, but to actually think through them and consider where, you know, that other people may have a reasonable starting point for disagreeing. And then you can then proceed to say, but, you know, yes, you have some reasonable perspective. However, in this case, these facts, this analysis points in a different direction. Well, I mean, that seemed to be part of the, ba the major project of Ludwig von Mises, to, to, to evaluate policies based on the desired outcomes of those who were proposing them. Yes, I think that's, I think one of the reasons why people who uh, think, uh, think in logical terms can come out in a libertarian direction is that uh, they will ask the question, what does this policy actually produce, rather than follow what you know, sometimes is called the intention heuristic. We'll say, well, if it's intended to be good, it must be good, uh, to at least take the step and say, well, um, let's look at the actual consequences requires uh, an exercise in logic. But I, I would say the main point isn't that you know, everyone should be a libertarian, but everyone should try to step back and look at the look at logic and then my guess is that they will come out libertarian more often than they would otherwise Arnold Kling is an adjunct scholar at the Cato Institute you can read more of his work at cato.org